and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and this is episode 16. Well, it was fun whilst it lasted, but England are coming home from Russia. On this episode, I'll be dissecting England's World Cup campaign and, of course, reflecting on Unai Emery's latest signings. Courtesy of a Mario Mandzukic goal in extra time, England will not be in this Sunday's World Cup final. They do have a small matter of a third-place playoff to contest uh, against Belgium, but as I'm guessing... By people's reactions that I've seen on social media since last night, I don't think people are too fussed and, and too bothered about that fixture. Most Gooners preferring to go down to Boreham Wood and, and watch Unai Emery's first game in charge. Um, it has to be said, you know, Gareth Southgate and, and his team done a fantastic job in uniting a country who in truth have shown little interest in international football, particularly in the last few years. Um, it seems to be one heartbreak after another and, and, and people seem to have had enough. But this World Cup was different. This World Cup uh, reinstated the British people's passion for international football. I truly do believe that. Pubs were packed, parks were packed with big screens and, and all sorts. And, and you could pretty much watch the game anywhere you wanted. The further England went in the competition, the more the interest in the whole thing seemed to grow around the country. You know, friends of mine who tried to get tickets to go to a screening at Hyde Park were even let down. There were so many applicants that some were unable to get in. And that shows you just how much people cared about this tournament and how sort of invigorated everyone was and excited and, and passionate and pleased to get behind the team. Now, I want to begin by talking about Gareth Southgate's team selection. Um, Jordan Pickford was the number one goalkeeper throughout the tournament, and I think he justified that selection with some fantastic saves. In particular, that one against Colombia uh, from distance. I know that the ball was probably going just wide, but what a fantastic save. To reach that was unbelievable, brilliant, fantastic goalkeeper. And I'd expect him to be England's number one for many years to come now. Um, then we go in, on to the defence. It was a back three. John Stones, who I personally thought was England's best defender at this tournament. I thought he was fantastic throughout the tournament. Um, Harry Maguire, again, had a very good tournament. Um, both of them getting themselves on the score sheet, actually, as well, which was impressive. Um, now, my issue with that back three was Carl Walker at centre-back. Now... I'd said pretty early on in the tournament that I felt like Kyle Walker just looked alien to that position. Kyle Walker, for me, is a wing-back and one of the best ones around at that. But he's not a centre-back and it just felt to me as though England was just so desperate to fit both him and Kieran Trippier in the side that they were willing to sacrifice what Kyle Walker does best and that's bombing down that right wing. I mean, he's the right wing-back for the champions um, and probably before that, during his time at Spurs, was one of the most incredible fullbacks. You know, his pace, his power, his directness is a real asset 
to any team. And and I just felt like his attributes were wasted playing in that position. If I've had one criticism of Carl Walker during his career, it's been his inability to defend. And so playing him at centre-back, to me, just didn't make any sense. Arsene Wenger didn't think so either. And here's what he had to say on the matter whilst commentating for BN Sports. The real point is that he's not a real defender, and especially not a central defender. And he can be subject to make defensive mistakes, uh, what he would not pay for when he plays on the right. And that's why uh, the sacrificed player, nobody talks about him, who had played all the games before, is Dyer, who has always played in every single game. And since the start of a competition, we have not seen him, because he can play in the middle of a centre-back, and uh, he can play in midfield as well. And until now, uh, I don't know why, but he has not been used at all. For me, it had to be either Kieran Trippier or Kyle Walker in the team. As it goes, Kieran Trippier had a fantastic tournament. His set-piece deliveries were fantastic. And the goal he scored in the semi-final was absolutely exquisite. And he truly deserved his place in that team. But it's one or the other, in my opinion. And you've got to play a natural centre-back in the centre-back position. Is there a case of Gareth Southgate feeling as though he had to accommodate Walker somehow just because he's won the Premier League title with Manchester City this season? Could be the case. Maybe he felt he needed his experience. I guess we'll never truly know why Gareth Southgate made that decision. Um, but for me, it was the wrong one. And it's something I called out right at the start of the tournament. Um, I've already touched on Kieran Trippier. What a fantastic tournament he had. Moving on to the other side, I thought Ashley Young also done a, a very decent job in the left wing back position. Um, my only issue was there was times where I felt England needed to attack that little bit quicker. And the fact that Ashley Young had to keep cutting inside onto his right foot just sometimes killed the fluidity and the momentum of certain breaks. Um, but other than that, you know, he defended relatively well. We've seen he can do that job for Manchester United. So fair play to Ashley Young. Uh, not fancied by many going into this tournament. There was a lot of calls for maybe Danny Rose starting ahead of him. As it goes, Young done pretty well, in my opinion. Jordan Henderson. Um, this is a difficult one because I haven't quite made my mind up yet about Jordan Henderson. At times, I think he's a big asset. He works really hard. He, he's a tough tackler. Um, and he, he plays with his heart on his sleeve, but he does lack technical ability. Um, and I think against the weaker opponents, it never really got exposed. Against Croatia in the semi-final, it was exposed. Um, but again, the selection didn't help him, in my opinion. Jesse Lingard and, and Deli Ali, for all their attacking brilliance, they, they are two midfield players that are not going to help you out defensively, are they? It's just not their game. It's not criticism of them as individuals. It's just not their game. And I felt as though, particularly against Croatia, we saw Jordan Henderson exposed against the likes of Rakitic and Modric, who were just passing the ball around him sort of after half time onwards for fun. And he didn't have enough support, in my view. Raheem Sterling, he's someone who... Oh, God, was the subject of a witch hunt prior to the tournament because of a tattoo that he had on his leg, which, if I'm being honest, I couldn't really care less about. And I don't think it should have been made into such a big issue. Um, I thought his runs throughout the tournament were excellent. Yes, his finishing was poor at times, but just the sheer pace of him and his trickiness and his ability to, to dribble in tight spaces and 
go one-on-one against defenders and, and really put them up against it. I think he was one of England's most influential players, yet he didn't get the credit for it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought during the semi-final, England only looked dangerous when Raheem Sterling was chasing things down. Um, so fair play to him. Uh, I can't really knock him. I've touched on Deli Ali and Jesse Lingard a little bit already. Um, but Deli Ali, for large parts of the tournament, was anonymous. Didn't deserve a starting place, in my opinion, particularly towards the end of England's run in the competition. Um, overrated, extremely overrated. I thought Jesse Lingard offered a little bit more. But again, his performances weren't consistent. And, you know, I feel as though in tournament football, you need that. You need to be consistent because you've only got four or five games to make a real impact. And and those two just didn't do it for me, in my opinion. Um, both let, let the team down a little bit. Moving on to Harry Kane. Have you ever seen a more overrated performance from a player at a World Cup in your entire life? Now, I'm not saying this because I'm a bitter Arsenal fan. I'm saying this because I genuinely do believe this. Harry Kane scored, what, five, six goals at this World Cup? Three being penalties and one off the back of his heel that he knew absolutely nothing about. If he wins the golden boot, then my God, that is robbery. Absolute robbery. Harry Kane, for me, when England needed him most, completely bottled it. And I'm talking about the chance he had in the first half against Croatia in the semi-final. One-on-one with the goalkeeper. The first one is difficult, but in my view, he should be sliding that across to Raheem Sterling anyway to tap it into an empty goal. No guarantees he would have scored it, mind you, um, given his finishing throughout the tournament. But you've got to be square in that. And if you don't, when the rebound comes to you, you've got to bury it. It was as though he was almost too composed. He wanted to take another touch and bring it further inside the post before he um, he, he shot towards goal. And the defender get, ended up getting back and blocking it. For me, that was a massive turning point in the game that gave Croatia the belief that they could come out in the second half and turn this around. Scoring that before half-time would have killed them, in my opinion, because Croatia looked like they were holding on for large parts of that first half. So that's a massive moment for me. Aside from that, I don't think Harry Kane performed too well in the last two, three games. The knockout stage games against Sweden um, and... Croatia, of course, and Colombia even. I felt as though he looked absolutely knackered, physically jaded. He looked like he was suffering from a long season and uh, playing with Tottenham, where let's be realistic, there is no one to step in for him when he needs a break. So Harry Kane, for me, excellent in the group stages, I guess, but you've got to take into account who they were playing against. But in the knockout stages, he just didn't do it. Just didn't do it. God, listening to that back, it all sounds a little bit negative. And... and that's not what I'm trying to convey here. Um, I'm just trying to get my head around the failings and, and why ultimately England are not in the World Cup final. When football's not coming home, I guess it's important to finish on a positive and, and you've got to say Gareth Southgate um, has done an excellent job and, and got the absolute maximum out of what I believe to be England's worst squad on paper. Um, certainly in my lifetime. So fair play to Gareth, united the whole country, um, reinstated people's interest in the international game. Fantastic job. And let's hope that he sticks around and and doesn't get his head turned by a big club job because 
it'll be nice to see him take England into the next Euros and hopefully push on and, and build on the success he's already had. Um, but I do think, you know, this gives us a truer reflection of where England actually are at first game they played against a, a decent side. Um, and I don't include Belgium in that because obviously both of them made wholesale changes. But the first game they've played against an actual decent side in a real competitive nature against Croatia, we've seen where England have problems. And, and you know, that's the only way you can address problems. You can't fix something that you don't know is there. And so I think in the long run, they'll learn a lot from that defeat. It'll be heartbreaking. It'll be gut-wrenching at first. But in the long run, Gareth and co will learn a lot from it. And, and we've seen that there are a few areas where England need to be better. And, and we've also woken up to the fact that England don't have a world-class midfield player like Luka Modric and the impact a player that good can have on a team. You have to say the better team won in the end. Um, as heartbreaking as it is, Croatia were the better side for, for large periods of that game. Um, I thought England were probably on top in the first half, but in the second half and extra time, mostly. It was pretty much all Croatia. Um, credit to Ivan Perisic. Fantastic. You can see why United are constantly linked with him. He, he's a brilliant player. And I can tell you from watching him at Inter that he is a fantastic, fantastic footballer. Um, and, and credit to the managers, Latko Dalic, because he looked at England at halftime and he identified Carl Walker as the problem area. And, and Perisic was on him, constantly on him. A anything that went towards Walker, Perisic was on his toes. And, and ultimately, you know, they ended up getting quite a bit of joy out of that area of the pitch. And it goes back to that that thing that I was saying earlier on about when you play a player outside of his natural position, then you're kind of asking for trouble. Anyway, that's enough about England. Back to what really matters, the mighty Arsenal. I'll be back with some Arsenal talk after this quick break. The Chronicles of Aguna 2017-18 is now on sale. The Chronicles of Aguna tells the story of Arsenal's final season through a supporter's eyes, attempts to shed light on some of the season's major talking points and features exclusive interviews with Ray Parler, Kevin Campbell, Tom Watt and Robbie Lyle. Available to order now from Amazon, Waterstones and all major bookstores. The Chronicles of Aguna 2017-18. Order your copy now by clicking the link in the description. Welcome back now to talk about the mighty Arsenal. Now, since our last show, Unai Emery has secured the signatures of another two players. Um, maybe even three. Did we do a show last week? Not sure. Anyway, let's let's pretend we didn't. Three. Let's talk about Sogradis Babastathobolos. Yes, that is how you pronounce it. Sogradis Babastathobolos. Check it out. Anyway, um... We'll call him Sogradis for the purposes of the show. It's a little bit easier, a bit less of a mouthful as well. Um, so we finally got the deal over the line for the Greek international defender. Now, we understand that the holdup was due to Dortmund not wanting to announce the transfer um, due to it having an impact on their financials. It's now been announced. He was spotted in London um, just before his medical took place. So we knew it was coming. Um, his father had also been pretty vocal on various Greek radio stations 
telling the world that his son was ready to sign for Arsenal. So um, no surprises there. What will he bring to this Arsenal side? He'll bring steel. He'll bring uh, physical power and aerial presence to a back line that's lacked all of those things in truth um, for quite some time now. Um, is he a great footballer? Technically, in my opinion, he's not. I've watched quite a bit of him for the Greek national team. Of course, we've seen him in the Champions League with Dortmund in the Europa League also. Um, he's not as technically gifted as your Shkodran Mustafi or Lauren Koscielny's, but I'll tell you what, he can do a hell of a lot better than them, and that's defend. Uh, he's a player always willing to put his body on the line for the cause, and who's been quoted as saying how much he absolutely despises conceding goals. Um, and I think that's a mentality that a lot of the Greek defenders have. It's the it's that tough attitude. It's that we're not going to concede attitude. And it's, you know, a, a real belief that if you score one, you should win the game. So fingers crossed we'll see the best out of him and he can bring some steel to the back line. He's a ready-made player, which is inc interesting because... We've got the likes of Callum Chambers, who's recently signed a new deal. And, and whilst I think he's got some potential, I don't think he's quite there yet. What Socrates will bring you is experience and, and somebody who's ready to step in and have an impact straight away as opposed to a prospect. This week, we also tied up the deal for Uruguayan defensive midfield player Lucas Torreira our biggest signing of the summer, and the one I'm most excited about, if I'm being completely honest. Um, he performed fantastically well during Uruguay's World Cup campaign, playing in that sort of defensive midfield role. He didn't start the tournament um, in the team, but his performances were so good when he came on that, that Uruguay felt that he needed to be playing from the beginning. And as a result, they, they progressed as far as the quarterfinals. So, He's a really exciting player. I'd seen quite a bit of him last season in Serie A for Sampdoria. Very tenacious, plenty of grit and determination and also technically very, very good. The type of player that we've lacked in the middle of the park for years now. He's got bite, he's intelligent, he's everything you'd want and he's he's fairly young and, and looks a real prospect. Now, there was interest from the likes of Napoli, um, the Italian club who went very close to winning Serie A this season but he decided to go, come to Arsenal um, there's conflicting reports about that some say that it's because Arsenal offered plenty more wages others say that he'd given his word to Arsenal and he wasn't about to go back on it so be interesting to see um, how he gets on whether he'll walk straight into the team or whether he'll have to fight for his place but really excited about the prospect of of Torreira um, and one of our bloggers Chris Davison you can follow him on Twitter C Davison underscore AFC he done a fantastic interview with an Italian football writer uh, Matt San Angelo and that is on the Chronicles AFC website you can check that out for more information on Torreira and a little bit of insight uh, into what sort of player we've got ourselves there. It's www.chroniclesafc.com. So do check that out at your earliest convenience. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Now, Arsenal really, really have been busy as we also completed the signing of Matteo Guendouzi. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, a French player from Lorient who is again another exciting prospect. I'd be lying if I said 
I'd watched much of him, uh, seen a few highlights reels, as I'm sure you guys have seen, floating around on social media. And he, and he looks an, an interesting player. Looks like he could also be related to Marouane Fellaini with, with that hairstyle. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting sign-in from Unai Emery. Obviously knows something about this player and obviously feels he can do a job in and around the first-team squad. So uh, looking forward to him. Uh, coming in and, and seeing how he gets on as well. Right, guys, if there's anything you disagree with that I've said in this show, more than happy for you to pull me up on it. Get onto Twitter and tweet me at Chronicles underscore AFC. Always interested to hear your guys' thoughts on the topics discussed. Um, and please do let me know uh, what your thoughts were on England's World Cup campaign and, of course, Arsenal's latest signings. I'll be back just after this with a quick summary of Unai Emery's first pre-season press conference. Enjoying what you've heard so far? If so, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes. Right, so just as we're recording this, um, Unai Emery has finished his first pre-season press conference as Arsenal manager. It's all starting to feel real now. The new era is well and truly upon us and well and truly underway. Um, for some reason, Arsenal asked for any quotes from the press conference not to be released until an hour after its conclusion. Not exactly sure why that is. I will try and find out. Um, but here is a little summary of, of what was said and, and what happened. Um, when asked about any more business, Unai Emery didn't rule out making another signing. Um, my assumption is that he'd like to make another signing. Whether the funds are available to bring in a player that he wants is a completely different matter. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, I personally think we need a winger. Uh, we lack width in that team. That's the thing that stands out to me. Um, having done plenty of business already. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Again, on Twitter, at Chronicles underscore AFC. Hit us up and let us know who you'd like to see come in. And if you can't specify any names, then tell us what positions you'd like to see us strengthening. Um, also, Unai Emery said that he basically said that he really likes Aaron Ramsey, wants to work with him and has told the club he's an important player. I guess that's code for get on with it tie him down, sign him up. Um, he's made that clear from the minute he joined us that that he feels Aaron Ramsey has a huge part to play in his future plans. Um, and I believe that with Jack Wilshire leaving now as well, it's even more imperative that we keep Aaron Ramsey. He's a really, really important player to this Arsenal team and, and I certainly wouldn't like to see him go. Um, he also confirmed that he hasn't and the club hasn't actually made a move for Steven and Zonzi. That doesn't surprise me. The Steven and Zonzi speculation is something that we've seen for the last five or six years now. Every transfer window, we are linked with Steven and Zonzi. It never happens. I don't see it happening this time. And having spent what we've just spent on Lucas Torreira, I find it very difficult to believe that Arsenal would splash out anywhere near what Sevilla are asking for a player in that position. He said that he's not sure on who will be captain um, and who will be the number one goalkeeper just yet. But there have been talks amongst him and his staff um, and we'll know in good time. Um, so those were the main points from Unai Emery's press conference ahead of our first preseason fixture against Boreham Wood this coming Saturday. I'm hoping to get down there, hopefully get to see some of you guys there and meet some of you guys. 
That brings us to the end of another episode. A huge thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Chronicles underscore AFC. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Please, please leave us a review. It really, really does help. Um, let me know your thoughts on the show. Let me know your thoughts on the subjects discussed. I'm always interested to hear feedback from our listeners. You can find us on iTunes, of course, Acast, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, um, and all good podcast outlets. Until next time, ciao.